All right, everyone, welcome back. We got a fresh episode of the Unmasked podcast. Have a really, really exciting guest, especially those of you that are located here in Atlanta, a name that you hear quite a bit in the in the media and the news on LinkedIn. The CEO of Lease Query is here with us. George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. You got it, of course. Hey, so I know a lot of folks, I know myself personally and selfishly, a lot of people are just probably really excited to hear a bit behind the scenes story of you know where lease query came from. I think there's a lot of things I want to pick your brain about that'll be super valuable. But why don't you give everyone maybe the two to three minute kind of backstory of back us up to where where lease query came from, where you came from. Give us kind of the humble beginnings. Okay. Well I, I think the it's interesting. Whatever we talk about, people ask me about lease query, you know, I, I think it's easier to avoid failure that, uh, or avoid the same mistakes that someone makes than it is to mimic their success. Right. So I think a lot of times it makes sense to kind of go to okay, what was I doing prior to lease query? And how did that kind of you know, shape my sense of what, what I was going to do next. So prior to Lee Square, we started a company called College Medium, my brother and I. I was, you know, I was an accountant at the time. And so I just kind of provided financing while my brother was kind of the tech guy and, and the guy that built it. So he killed my fear of technology, so to speak, because I'm not a technologist at heart. I'm not a programmer or developer. So College Medium was a way for company, for people to reach college students. So you know the bulletin boards that colleges have? Those bulletin boards, we wanted to replace that, right? Where you're looking for a roommate or you have a textbook to sell, et cetera. So, so we, we started this website that you know you would come in and it was sorted by school and you could come in and find a roommate, find a ride, buy a textbook, et cetera. And we had some good success at, in, in Atlanta at Georgia Tech, Georgia State, and Emory University. Those were our three pilot schools. And what happened was we Facebook, at uh, the time they were called The Facebook, they would come to our site and spend <laughs> five minutes, six minutes. 10 minutes, which online is, is an eternity. And essentially what they did was we were using Facebook's API. We were one of the first companies to use Facebook's API when they released it. This was in 2006. When Facebook released their API, we that's how we would verify if someone was a college student. But first, it was the, the idea was anybody could post on the site, but only could respond. And we would, we would determine if you were a college student by having a .edu. If you had a .edu email address, then we would say you were a college student. Well, if Facebook released their API, and when they released their cool. API, we would use Facebook to verify if they were indeed a college student. And and that's that's how that worked. Well, next thing you know, Facebook released Facebook Marketplace, and that essentially put us out of business. So I learned a lot of lessons there, right? Um, I learned a lot of lessons there. Uh, one of the lessons I was, A, never do something that requires, if you're build, it's very difficult to build a marketplace. Because even if you identify your, your ICP, your, your ideal customer profile, you have to market to two people at once, right? Buyers and sellers. If a buyer comes in and there's no sellers, you know, they're not going to come back. So the, your, that cost of connection is, is gone. If a seller comes in and there's no buyers, they're not coming back either. So you, you needed to market to two groups at once. So it's very difficult. So that said, you know, I'll never do a marketplace business again. The second thing I learned was I would never do something that required yep. mass volume to, to succeed, right? I, that is, I, if whatever I did next, it had to provide value, even if it was, it was one user, right? The third thing I learned was never build something on top of another company's profile, right? On top of something else, another company's Got profile. Got it. In this case, in, in that case, uh, Facebook's API. 
where someone, another company's actions could completely change your business model. And so those three, those were the three lessons I learned as far as the type of company that I was going to do next. And believe it or not, if you answer those three things, then the next logical step is software. That's why I ended up with B2B software. So if you go, if you take us back before, even before that company with your brother, have you always been like an entrepreneur? Like 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 what? Bring us into like who you were as a person growing up and up to that point. Well, I, I don't think I've always been. A, I think I've, I've I've had ideas, right? But I've never really been an you know the, the guy that says, "Oh, I'm I am I'm, I'm an entrepreneur," right? I like to solve problems. I'll say that. Right. And, and frankly, that's how Lee Square got started. Right. It was a problem that I had. And I frankly wouldn't set out to start a business. I just, I wanted to solve my problem. And then I realized how passionate I was about the problem and decided to start a software company that solved that problem. Love that. So give us, give us that story. What, what was the problem? How'd you solve it in the early days? Like, you know, looking back and, and reflecting back to where it first started, let's go back to that place. Well, so, so I was, I'm an auditor, as I said, I, I'm an accountant. And I was working in a Fortune 500 company. This was in 2008 when I started at that company. In my prior life, well, prior to that, I was an auditor for, for banks and financial institutions, for basically banks and insurance companies. And obviously, in 2008, we had the credit crisis, and that's why I switched jobs. And I went to go work for a large manufacturing company. And in that role, what my, my, my role there was technical accounting and accounting research. Now, in 2008, the company decided to change auditors. But they went from PwC to Ernst & Young. And Ernst & Young decided, because this was their first audit, they decided to take a deeper dive into financials. And one of the areas that they decided to look at was leases. So as part of their audit procedures, they tested 10 of the company's leases, and 10 of the 10 of them were off. And they tested another mm. 10, and 10 of the 10 of them were off. So at this point, we're batting, you know, the company's batting zero out of, uh, out of 20. And so the chief accounting officer tasked me to teach all the controllers, because this was a global corporation to teach, that had different controllers. So, so she tasked me with teaching the controllers how to account for leases. And so I started to you know, create a PowerPoint presentation. And I'm a big show me guy rather than tell me. And so I said, okay, you know what? Let me build something that they can use, like an Excel spreadsheet that they could use to you know, plug in the numbers and it'll give them the right answer. And so I started to build you know, this Excel spreadsheet. And as I'm building it, I'm like, well, this is very simple accounting. It's pretty much depreciation accounting, right? Under current rules. So I'm sure there's software that does this, right? So let's go take a look. Let me go look at the software and present it to the chief accounting officer and tell, that, tell her that we should probably invest in that in software as opposed to Excel spreadsheets. So I started looking and, you know, it didn't, it just didn't exist. What I found were a lot of companies had lease management software that tells you when a lease expires, tells you how much your rent is, tells you, you know, if you have options, whatever your, your renewal options are and alerts, it gives you alerts, but nothing that actually solved the accounting problem. And so once again, my role hmm. was technical accounting and accounting research, which means I had to figure out what the EITF, the Emerging Issues Task Force in accounting, what changes they were making to, to GAAP and make sure that the company got their preferred accounting treatment. So I had to get the company ready to comply with any new changes. So in that role, I knew that the boards were discussing changing the rules for leases. So, you know, that was kind of the, the aha moment. Well, A, you know, companies are getting this wrong today. B, there's no software that, get, that exists to get, comp to get companies compliant under today's simple rules. 
and see when the new rules come out, well, companies are going to be very, it's going to be very difficult for companies to comply, right? So, so let's go ahead and build software that helps that's going to be compliant. Love it. So cl- a clear problem. You found a clear problem. Lots of people knew it. You had a background in it. So you had deep understanding of it. That's, you know, you're hitting a lot of points for building a, building a company. I selfishly, I'd be curious to know, I, I'm currently on the yeah. side of the business I currently run in building out a tech platform. Yeah. My, f- I'm not an engineer, just like you're like you, you know, I have expertise in yeah. the area that we're building and I know it well, but I'd like to, you know, almost selfishly pick your brain on that. What, what lessons could you share for myself, other people out there that are maybe building a tech platform or software? They're not engineers themselves. Oh, I learned a lot of lessons and and, and I was definitely very lucky. First thing I will say is what I did was I knew I wasn't going to get funding, right? Because no one, no one really wants to invest in a company that's predicated on the government taking an action on the future. <laughs> right. Mm, so, sure. so I knew that, you know, seeking funding would be a waste of time. So I knew I had to self-fund this thing. And, and so what I did, the minute I decided to start a company, and that was in March 2010, I immediately upped my, my 401k contributions. So I maxed it out. Right. And I, so I increased the amount I was contributing because I had, I, I was still obviously working at, at a regular job. I maxed the, the amount of my contributions to my 401k. And I drastically reduced my burn rate, my personal burn rate. And I got it down to $3,000 a month. So all I needed after that, all I needed was $3,000 per month to survive, literally for everything. And that was my burn rate. And, and I knew that I could borrow against my 401k, right? So it's accumulated interest-free as a vehicle. So that was my funding vehicle, it's my 401k. So, but now, I, as I said, I got the idea in March 2000. In 10, I, I well, not got the idea, but I decided to do it in March 2010. The first line of code was not written until September 2011. And in those, you know, that year plus period, what I was doing was I was writing the requirements, what, what you call the BA, right? I was writing literally every single, like, the, it, it's, it, I mean, it's funny, I go back and I read it now. And I mean, I'm talking reams, hundreds of thousands of lines of Excel. Right. Mm. With notes. My notes were written my step, you know, like step one in red and then note to the programmers in blue. Right. So they knew that red meant, okay, this is step one, step two, step three, step three A, step yep. three B, you know, if this, then that. And then notes to clarify, right? You no know, one, note two, note three in blue. So it was it was very it was very simple to read and you knew exactly what you needed. I, that's where I was lucky. I didn't know that, you know, that that was <laughs> I'm just very particular, right? And I wanted it to be sure. exact. And so, so now come to the programming part. I was very lucky in this because I found a company out of India to build the code for, to write the code for me. What, the one thing I'll say you should not do is, is find a person, a guy or a girl to do it on the site, right? The person needs to take this seriously. And if it's a gig, there's a difference between a gig and a job. Right. If it's a gig, um, yeah. then you can't really hold them accountable. Right. So what I did was I hired a company who now assigned a programmer to me. And the reason and, and in that scenario, if that person was started slacking off, I could, you know, yeah, I had someone to scream at. I could yell at their boss who could yell at them. So so it was professionally written. The code was professional, right? Because this individual wasn't it wasn't a gig to them. It wasn't a side gig. It wasn't a hobby. It was their job. 
right? And, and, and I was exactly. them using by drawing on my loan from my forward. Got it. So you, so you eventually got the product to a place that it was a viable product through the, the company in India. When did you, when were you like, all right, let's talk about the story of getting your first customer. Who was your first customer? How'd you get them? My first customer was a company here in Atlanta called Fresh to Order, the restaurant, and they also own a bunch of Papa John. And how did I get them? I'm a perfectionist, right? And so I spent a lot of time working on the code. Excuse me. I spent a lot of time working on the actual code, right? Requirements, testing, etc. I didn't really spend a lot of time selling. And and yes. one of my good friends, Tommy Lee, who works for Aprio, he's he's a partner at Aprio here in Atlanta, an accounting firm. He had a client which was fresh to order, and he said, you know, George, these guys need your. Don't you have you're building the software for managing leases? These guys actually need the software, right? Why don't you go talk to them? And I was like, wow, it's not ready. I can't, you know, I'm not really sure. You know, he's like, just talk to them. Just show them what you have, you know. And I said, okay. And I distinctly remember, I was like, okay, I'm, this is my first demo. I want to get this client. Nothing can go wrong. So the day before, I drove to the place to make sure I wasn't going to be late. And no, you know, drove there. And I started thinking, oh, okay, love what it. could possibly go wrong? I had an extra pair of shoes in my car in case something happened to my shoes for some reason have an extra suit. But then I went back home and about 7 p.m. I was like, you know what? I wonder if, you know, the, what if their projector, something happens to their projector. So <laughs> I called my mom and because I was broke from literally, you know, paying programmers. I called my mom up and I was like, mom, I need, a, I need money to buy a, a projector. And she goes, <laughs> and she goes, what? Like, well, I have a huge demo tomorrow. <laughs> And I just want to, you know, I'll return it. I'll most likely return it. You know, I won't need it because, but most likely I won't need it, you know, but I just want to be prepared in case, you know, they don't have a projector. And then she goes, okay. So she goes to the Best Buy, pays for it, you know, and then I picked it up from Atlanta. She goes, so my mom lives in Houston. So she went to a Best Buy in Houston, paid for it, and I picked it up in Atlanta. So I picked up the projector, figured out how to use it at this time. It's like, at this point, it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And my meeting was, you know, first thing in the morning at 8 a.m. So I drive there, got there, you know, 30 minutes before I'm a nervous wreck. And the lady is like, okay, this is George. This is where you're going to sit. You know, this is our, our, our where you're going to begin the presentation. The CEO walks in here, he sits down and the lady goes, ah, you know, I've never been able to figure out this projector. And our IT guy doesn't get here. Uh. not. And I go, oh, that's okay. Casually, I said, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I have a projector. And the CEO looks at me and he's like, you have a projector? I go, oh, yes. You know, I'm always prepared. And he nodded. I love it. <laughs> he nodded. And I, you know, I used my, I used that projector. And you know, obviously got the, got the list. Hey, has he? Has have you told him this story <laughs> since then, or could this podcast be the first time he hears this? This podcast is definitely the first time he heard this. Oh, I'll you, he certainly did not know that he was our first one. That makes me so happy. I'm 100% tagging him in this podcast. That's so funny. Well, now he knows our they're, they're our first client. Sure. We, have, we have a history wall, and Tommy came to our office, and he saw. We, we obviously listed our first client on there. He saw the on our history wall that Fresh to Order was our first client. He took a picture of it and sent it to Peer. And, and, and now Peer wants a lifetime access, free access to the software. Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> so give us, give us the 10,000 foot snapshot today. So that story, what year was that? that 
that first customer? This was in December 2013. So our first uh, our first check from Fresh Order came in January 2014. Got it. So a little over five years later, where are you guys at now? Customer base size, that kind of stuff. We're over a thousand customers now. There's about 180 of us in the company. So yeah, we're, 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 it's, we've come a very long way from... It's uh, awesome. So, so that's where I... Th- there's probably a lot of meat in there, right? Like I, I imagine there's people listening to this that are like, you know, maybe just starting a company. They got a good idea. They maybe have their first customer. Everyone would love to make that jump that you did over five years. Like that's incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. What are some, you know, give some nuggets away here, like, you know, four or five tangible takeaways of things you've learned. I'm sure you've learned a billion of them, but mm-hmm. what are some major things that stick out to you over the past, you know, reflection, reflecting over the last four or five years? Well, A, I think it starts with product. Right, you you have to be. I think I I find a lot of people fall in love with their product as opposed to falling in love with the problem. Right? I mean, mm. you, I think that's why we we I think that's why we do well against our competition because we know who we are. We are lease accounting software. I mean, if it, if it's if it's lease if lease accounting is your problem, you are certifiably insane if you go with somebody else. Right? Because we have <laughs> you know eighty accountants. I think I, I haven't done a count, but we, I mean, we have much more accountants and staff than they do. And you can prove this on LinkedIn by, by looking at it, right? Our, our, our breakdown, our breakdown. So we are obsessed. I mean, I, I like to say that, you know, I'm not in love with lease accounting. I don't, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like it. I am, it's an obsession. I am obsessed with lease accounting. And that, that obsession is mm-hmm. something that money can't buy. So, uh, you know, as all our competitors were raising money, you know, we just knew that, hey, if we just, Became the best lease accounting software out there, then we would we would beat them, and I think you know we're well on our way to doing that. So so that's the you know the first thing is just fall in love, be obsessed with the problem. Second thing that that I think I did that that was lucky for us was our, our my first hire, right full time hire was a, a, a gentleman named Russell Bowles, straight out of college from Georgia Tech, and he was our he's now our director of operations. But he helped me build the software, right? Helped me test it, helped me work on it. And when we got our first clients, I literally got the client, landed a deal, and I handed it to Russell. And Russell did what I didn't know at the time, but he was implementation slash customer success. I never had to do that, right? So all I so I could focus on selling, right? And I think that's a lot of a lot of times some founders have a hard time letting go and. For for us, we were lucky in that I knew that Russell, you know, my number two guy, would one hundred percent would one hundred percent take care of the client because he knew everything I did. So that first hire for us was critical, which was which it, it enabled me to to sell more. The third thing, can I dig into that really quick sure. before you go to the third things? That's really good. You just mentioned, you know, so you could focus one hundred percent of your time and on selling. And I'm I'm a sales, been a sales guy my entire life. I run a yeah. business in the sales world, so I'm really passionate on that topic. And the reason why I wanted to highlight some of this and have you dig deeper is you're an accountant by trade. Nine times out of 10, I would bet that an accountant off the street isn't a natural salesperson. They're not confident and wanting to go sell. I've met a lot of accountants. They don't love talking to other people as much as a salesperson does, right? So, but you... Are you naturally a salesperson or did you figure it out? You're like, I had had to do it. Absolutely not. I am not... I, in fact, I have zero control over our sales whatsoever. I'm a product CEO. Right? Chris Ramsey, our CRO, is the one who built the sales team. 
But now, I don't know, we are selling to accountants, right? We sell that, that's our, our ICP is an accountant controller, financial reporting manager, general ledger manager, senior accountant, you know, SEC reporting manager, right? Those are the, that, those are the people we sell to. There's no, we honestly believe at least query that only accountants can sell to account, right? Sure. And so, so because of what we call credibility, right? Uh, and, and we speak their language. So that's why we hire a lot of accountants. Right. So, so now as a C, as a founder, you know, I was the only, there was nobody to sell. I couldn't go hire a salesperson to go sell it right away. I had to do run, you know, I had three of our first 10 to 12 clients. I sold those deals individually. Like literally, I can tell you the people I was speaking to, you know, I remember them <laughs> individually. I remember each individual sale, but that's because I had to do Love it. Right. You're absolutely right. You know, accountants really can't sell. And, and I can't scale. So that's what, that brings me to my third point, which is know what your weaknesses are, right? And, and, and I honestly believe, I'm literally just talking to our new hires today. I honestly believe that your weakness, your biggest weakness is simultaneously your greatest strength. And acknowledging them is the first step, right? And so bringing on Chris Ramsey, my partner and our CRO, was the best, probably the best decision I've ever made because he, is an enterprise sales guy. He knows how to sell. This is what he does, right? So I'm a pro. I deal with product. Chris deals with sales, and that's really how we evolve as a company. That's the third lesson. Love that sales is critical. You know, having someone who knows sales, who is who can build a sales team, who understands the sales process. I mean, and that that, that was Chris. That's great. That's I think that's I think I don't think you even know the amount of founders that you're that I know are listening to this right now that you're helping who one sometimes live by the excuse, hey, I'm a I'm an engineer, I'm not a sales guy. That's gonna be someone else's job. But the problem is you sure. don't have anyone else. So you have to figure out some way to go get your first 10, 15 customers on your own, Absolutely. even as an engineer. And I just think there's a misnomer in the world that salespeople are these bravado, well-spoken, like it's this big pitch you have to have. That's not what sales is. Sales is like, listen, exactly. you have a problem. I'm an expert at solving it. I have credibility. Let me help Absolutely. you solve it. That's sales. And you, you prove that. So it, it, it can be done. Hey, you, you mentioned a good story before we were on the podcast here about you almost sold 10% of your company for 12 grand when you were coming up. What's almost. that story? I did. I did. I did. Oh. So, so in March 2013, this lady I was working with at the time, you know, I, I said, hey, you know, can we, you know, I need money. I, I, you know, I was running out of money and I needed $12,000. And she said she wanted 10% of the company. I said, great. I didn't sign an agreement or anything. She gave me the check because I was busy working. And I'll never forget this, this day, September 14th, 2013. September 14, 2013, it was a Saturday and my friend had invited me to his house. He's like, you're always working. Just come take a day off and come to watch this fight. I believe Manny Pacquiao was fighting Ken Elba. I believe that was the fight. Mm. Manny Pacquiao played Mayweather. I'm not a boxing guy, but you know, she said, just come hang out with your friends. You know, because I was kind of a harvest at the time. And I said, okay, on my way there, I get a call from the lady telling me she wanted her money back. It was literally the darkest day of my life and and of the company's life, you know. And, uh, and wait, how many? She had given it to you how many days before or that day? She gave it to me in March. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. She came in collecting. March, she she came collecting. Yeah. And, and this was in September, September 14th. She asked for her money back. 
And, Got it. And so, you know, I'm like, if you're killing me, you're killing the company. Why are you doing this? And she's like, I need the money. I'm like, I know you do not need the money. You know, you gave me the money in March. What happens in March? Bonuses are paid. So this did not come from a savings account. This is this came from your bonus. And I know how much you make because you know you, you she was my boss at the time, you know, dotted line. So so you know, she said, you know, I don't really believe, you know, in the idea, et cetera, yet anymore. I'm moving, and I should move to another another state, taking another job. So, you know, this was you know, over the course of a two-hour conversation, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't believe I owe you your money back. Because we have an agreement, even though we haven't written it out, but here's what we'll do. I can't afford to pay you $12,000. I just want to have it. But what I'll do is I'll pay you $1,000 per month for 12 months until, you know, I need to. And she said, okay, do that. Which let me further know that she didn't need the money. Because, you know, $12,000 straight up is very different from $1,000 annually. Sure. So, so anyway, I told her that I'll pay you back, but please understand this, that it'll be my lifelong mission that whatever you remember this day, you will regret it for the rest of your natural God given life. I had said that word for which is you know wow. very pretty vindictive. I was pretty I was pretty upset. But she said something really nice, which was kinda of cool. Yeah. And, uh, she said, you know what, George, I hope so, because that means you're successful. Which is really something nice to say, you know, after someone says, you know, something that cold but Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that happened and obviously ended up being the luckiest thing that ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's crazy. How many times uh, have you thought about uh, her through uh, the last four or five years? Well, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and fuel. You know, I don't know if I should announce this, but every, every check I received, I took a picture of it, I sent it for, you know, and it, you know, it was like $500 first, then, you know, that's wild man that is some wild stuff well i i really appreciate you coming on sharing the story i think you know I've been watching you guys from afar, really exciting what you guys are doing, seeing you guys grow and you're, you know, obviously employing a lot of people here in, in the local city of Atlanta, which is really awesome. So I appreciate you. Where should we send people that are interested in learning more about lease querying, just in case there's someone out there that's that's got the problem? Leasequery.com, A-S-E-Q-E-R-Y.com. We also launched a new product called Leaseguru, L-E-A-S-E-G-U. You, and these guru goes to tell us about these guru.com. These guru is for companies like us, right? So, smaller companies that may have one or two, so you can use it. So, it's free for now, and you'll get compliant, right? So, smaller companies that have this problem, because this is a global problem. This is the rules have changed for these accounting. So, companies, if you have a company that has raised a round and you have an issue cap financials, guess what? This, these new rules, thank you. And legal. Wow. But so so for smaller companies out there, go to leaseguru.com or for for larger companies go to leaseguru.com. Awesome. And I'll put I'll put those in the notes here below so people can just click on them and go right to there. But George, thank you so much for your time, my man. I appreciate it. Uh, it was great having you on. So 